Day 13 The Second Voyage I had resolved, as you know, on my return from my first voyage, to spend the rest of my days quietly in Baghdad. But very soon I grew tired of such an idle life and longed once more to find myself upon the sea. I procured goods suitable for the places I intended to visit, and embarked for the second time in a good ship with other merchants whom I knew to be honorable men. We went from island to island, often making excellent bargains, until one day we landed at a spot, which though covered with fruit trees and abounding in springs of excellent water, appeared to possess neither houses nor people. While my companions wandered here and there, gathering flowers and fruit, I sat down in a shady place, and having heartily enjoyed the provisions and the wine I had brought with me, I fell asleep. How long I slept I don't know, but when I opened my eyes I found myself was alone, and that the ship was gone. I saw the vessel under full sail just disappearing upon the horizon. I presently took courage and looked about me for a means of escape. My curiosity was excited by a huge dazzling white object, so far off that I could not make out what it might be. As I drew near, it seemed to me to be a white ball of immense size and height, and when I could touch it, I found it marvelously smooth and soft. As it was impossible to climb it, for it presented no foothold, I walked round about it, seeking some opening, but there was none. I counted, however, that it was at least fifty paces round. By this time the sun was nearly setting but quite suddenly it fell dark. Something like a huge black cloud came swiftly over me, and it was a bird of extraordinary size which was hovering near. Then I remembered that I had often heard the sailor speak of a wonderful bird called a rock, and it occurred to me that the white objects which had so puzzled me must be its egg. Sure enough, the bird settled slowly down upon it, covering it with its wings to keep it warm, and I cowered close beside one of the bird's feet, which was as large as the trunk of a tree. Taking off my turban, I bound myself securely to it with the linen in the hope that the rock, when it took flight next morning, would bear me away with it from the desolate island and it was precisely what did happen. As the dawn appeared, the bird rose into the air, carrying me up and up till I could no longer see the earth, and then suddenly it descended so swiftly that I almost lost consciousness. When I became aware that the rook had settled, and that I was once again upon solid ground, I hastily unbound my turban from its foot and freed myself. The bird pounced upon a huge snake, killed it, and seizing it up, rose into the air and soon disappeared from my view. The valley there was deep and narrow, and surrounded by mountains which towered into the clouds and were so steep and rocky that there was no way of climbing up their sides. As I wandered about, seeking anxiously for some means of escaping from this trap, 
I observed that the ground was strewed with diamonds. I saw also numbers of horrible snakes, so long and so large that the smallest of them could have swallowed an elephant with ease. Fortunately for me, they seemed to hide in caverns of the rocks by day, and only came out by night, probably because of their enemy, the rock. When it grew dusk, I crept into a little cave and blocked up the entrance to it with a stone. When the morning light appeared, I came out of my cave and wandered up and down the valley once more. At last, overcome with weariness, I sat down upon a rock, but I had hardly closed my eyes when I was startled by something which fell to the ground with a thud close beside me. It was a huge piece of fresh meat, and as I stared at it, several more pieces rolled over the cliffs in different places. I had always thought that the stories the sailors told of the famous Valley of Diamonds and of the cunning way which some merchants had devised for getting at the precious stones, were mere travelers' tales, invented to give pleasure to the hearers. But now I perceived that they were surely true. The merchants came to the valley when the eagles had hatched their young. The merchants then threw great lumps of meat into the valley. These, falling with so much force upon the diamonds, were sure to take up some of the precious stones with them. When the eagles pounced upon the meat and carried it off to their nests to feed their hungry broods. Then the merchants, scaring away the parrot birds with shouts and outcries, would secure their treasures. I began to pick up all the largest diamonds I could find and storing them carefully in the leathern wallet that I tied securely to my belt. I chose the piece of meat which seemed most suited to my purpose and with the aid of my turban, bound it firmly to my back. This done, I laid down upon my face and awaited the coming of the eagles. I soon heard the flapping of their mighty wings above me, and had the satisfaction of feeling one of them seize upon my piece of meat, and me with it, and rise slowly towards his nest. Luckily for me, the merchants were on the watch, and setting up their usual outcries as they rushed to the nest, scaring away the eagle. Their amazement was great when they discovered me, and also their disappointment. Addressing myself to the one who seemed most aggrieved, I said, I am sure if you knew all that I have suffered, you would show more kindness towards me, and as for diamonds, I have enough here for you and me and all your company. I showed them to him, and they led me to their camp. I found that each merchant chose a particular nest and took his chance of what he might find in it. So I begged the one who owned the nest to which I had been carried to take as much as he would take of my treasure, but he contented himself with one stone. I stayed with the merchants several days, and then, as they were journeying homewards, I gladly accompanied them. Our way lay across high mountains infested with frightful serpents, but we had the good luck to escape them, and came at last to the seashore. Thence we sailed to the Isle of Rohat. Before we left I exchanged one of my diamonds for much merchandise, 
by which I profited greatly on our homeward way. At last we reached Balsora, whence I hastened to Baghdad. Having thus related the adventures of his second voyage, Sinbad again bestowed one hundred golden coins upon Hindbad, inviting him to come again on the following day, and hear how he fared upon his third voyage. The other guests also departed to their homes, but all returned at the same hour next day, including the porter. Again, after the feast was over, did Sinbad claim the attention of his guests and began the account of his third voyage. <laughs>